Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter, at John Stolness. This is episode number 21, and coming up in just a second, I'm going to talk with Ed Valentine, who covers the New York Giants for SB Nation's Giants site, BigBlueView.com. We'll talk about the Giants draft, their schedule, and what potential free agents May, may be on the horizon that the team could be interested in here over the next few weeks. Going to get into some stuff about Dak Prescott's contract and some odds of the Eagles winning the Super Bowl this year that are out there. And some uh, publications, some national publications have released some offseason rankings and the Eagles are in an interesting position. But so are some of the other NFC East teams that I wanted to pass along to you as well. And to give us a little bit more insight on what's been going on with the New York Giants here this offseason regarding the draft, and we'll talk to him about the schedule that came out a few weeks ago, is Ed Valentine, writer for SB Nation's Giants site, BigBlueView.com. You can follow the site on Twitter at BigBlueView. Ed, welcome back to Eye on the Enemy. How are you, pal? Good, John. Thanks for having me. And you normally tweet out of the Big Blue View Twitter, but you ha- do you have your own Twitter feed? Yes, I do. Valentine underscore Ed. Well, there you go, folks. So follow them both if you want to keep up to date on what's going on with our friends up north. And, you know, as I was thinking back to the draft uh, back in uh, April and thinking about what the Giants ended up doing, of course, the number four overall pick in the draft, you got yourself quite a little stud there to protect your franchise quarterback uh, for hopefully the next uh, seven to ten years for you guys. As I look at what the Giants did, it, it really feels like it was kind of a meat and potatoes draft for them. They 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 got that franchise left tackle. They didn't draft a single position, skill position player at all. So what just before we get into the specifics, what was your overall takeaway from the, the Giants draft this year? Well, John, I think you're absolutely right. I think meat and potatoes is a good way to describe what the Giants did. There was a lot of chatter in the fan base before the draft about Isaiah Simmons and and what he could mean to a defense that that obviously needed some help but but the reality of it was sort of always that the Giants drafted Saquon Barkley 2 years ago. They drafted their franchise quarterback or their the guy they hope will be their franchise quarterback a year ago in Daniel Jones. The reality of it is as as Dave Gettleman has said, you know, when you draft those guys you then have to put people in front of them who can let them do their job. Mm. And the Giants didn't really have that. They've struggled for a couple of years now to to try to build an offensive line. So really, that, that number four pick almost always had to be an offensive tackle. Yeah, and I think you know the guy that they got is a guy that they really believe is going to be is going to be someone to protect Daniel Jones, and that's the most important thing, right? I mean, protecting the franchise quarterback. He's he's the golden boy. Oh, obviously, and I think you know there was there was a lot of argument over who the best offensive tackle was in the draft class, and you can make the argument, all right? You can make the argument that maybe one of the other guys, maybe, you know, maybe you were a Jedrick Wills guy, or maybe you were a Mekhi Becton guy, or maybe you were a Tristan Wirfs guy. You know, you can spin it any way you want and make the argument that maybe, you know, one of those guys has a higher ceiling than Andrew Thomas. But I think that what the Giants did was they looked at those four guys. They looked at the guy with the most experience at left tackle, they looked at the guy that they thought had the best chance 
to be an absolute solid pro and made what they felt was the safest choice there. And, and I don't have a problem with it at all. No, I don't think you should. Well, sometimes, you know, people want to look at a draft and they, they want to see big splashes, right? But when you're a rebuilding team, when you're a team that's that's trying to climb the mountain, you need to you need to get the foundation in place. And a lot of times, what's the most, you know, what's the least attractive part of any house? It's the basement, right? <laughs> That's the right. foundation. You mm-hmm. got to you got to have a strong foundation if the rest of the house is is going to look. So, was that your favorite pick in the draft uh, or or was there some what was another pick that you really found that uh, was a great matchup between need and hitting on good value? Well, I think that that the the pick of Xavier McKinney in the second round, and I, I don't want to end up going you know pick by pick through the draft here, but but to get Xavier McKinney, a guy that a lot of people thought was first round value, at a position of need, you know where the Giants really needed help in the secondary, especially you know they needed help at safety. They have struggled for the last couple of years now. You know, with for a guy to play in in the back end of their of their secondary, to get a guy like McKinney, who should be able to step in, and you know whether he's a perfect free safety or not, he can do a lot of things. He should really fit in a a multiple sort of Patrick Graham scheme where he wants to move guys around. To get value like that, a guy that should step in and start right away. I thought was a really good pick. You know, Dave Gettleman has been criticized a lot over the years for, I think in eight drafts now, he has never traded back. Mm-hmm. He said after picking McKinney, he said, we had an offer on the table that we liked to move back a few spots and, and pick up, you know, a, an extra pick or two. He said, but but we weren't going to pass on this kid. And, yeah. and I can't blame them for that at all. So, you know, I, I really like the McKinney, the McKinney pick as well. All right. On the other side of the coin, what was a pick that you were not happy about? Was there any pick you weren't happy about? I don't know if there's an individual pick that I'm not happy about. You know, Matt Pert is a guy who may not give them a whole lot. He was their third round pick, may not give them a whole lot in the you know, in 2020. But they look at him as a guy who might be a starting right tackle for them as early as 2021, you know, and they'll probably be moving on from Nate Solder after this season. So that would be a natural progression. What I found interesting, you know, people criticize the fact that they didn't, they didn't draft or they didn't sign a, 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 a center in free agency. But what I found interesting was that they didn't select a single wide receiver in yeah. any of their 10 picks. And for me, you know, I get it because they really their focus was building that offensive line. Their their other focus was adding some speed and some talent and some guys that could contribute on special teams, you know, defensive type players late in the draft. Four of their last five picks were were linebackers, either inside guys or edge guys. And, you know, so obviously they had a plan and, and they executed it. But I look at the at the wide receiver group that they have. Darius Slayton, fifth round pick a year ago, had an outstanding rookie season. Looks like a guy who could really be, you know, it's it when you're able to hit on fifth round picks, guys that become starters, guys that become, you know, stud players, that's huge. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so that's a big help for the Giants. They also have Golden Tate, who's 
who's you know long in the tooth on the backside of his career, can still play a little bit. You know, he's still a good player, not a great one. They have Sterling Shepard, who's also a good player, but Sterling Shepard, it you know, he had two concussions last year that caused him to miss, I think, five or six games. Yeah. He's had some other injuries over the years. So you look at those three guys, and, and, and there's questions about those three a little bit just in terms of health and, and those things. And you look at what's behind them, and there just there isn't much that's proven. So, or you know, that you really think you're going to be able to rely on. It's you know, it's it's Corey Coleman who's never really lived up to his his billing, and a bunch of kids. So, I was surprised in a really deep draft class for wide receiver. You could have gotten a quality prospect in the fourth, fifth, maybe even the sixth round. I was surprised that they didn't draft a single wide receiver. That was maybe the one thing that, that really that really left me shaking my head a little bit. All right, well, let's move on uh, past the draft because uh, I, I think there's also now we're kind of focusing on some of the free agents that, that still happen to be out there. You know, there's there's some guys who I know the, uh, one of the guys that's been linked to the Giants a whole lot is Jadavian Clowney, and uh, that I'm sure that talk hasn't quieted down the longer he kind of sits out on the open market. Uh, what are some what are some potential free agents that remain out there that you've got your eyes on as potential fits for the Giants? Well, John, it's interesting. Clowney's not one of them, at least not for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fan base, there's there's a big chunk of the fan base that's still begging for Clowney. And I don't get it, you know, to be honest with you, because he's a guy who still wants a lot of money. He's a guy with a long injury history. He's a guy who's, yes, he's talented, but his, his at, at times it's been said that his effort's been up and down. And to be honest, the the overall production, if you look at his career, the overall production doesn't seem to match the name on the back of the jersey. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was really interesting. The Giants did an interesting thing when they used the the unrestricted free agent tender on Marcus Golden, which if he doesn't sign any place by July 22nd, gives them an opportunity to bring him back to help on, on the edge a little bit. I'm interested to see, we talked about wide receiver, maybe as we go through training camp, whenever that gets held, I'm interested to see if they, if they look to add a veteran wide receiver when, you know, when teams start to cut players. The other thing I'm interested hey, to we, see. By the way, we oh, might have one of those if you're into an Alshon Jeffrey. Uh, I'm sure we could, we could make you an offer that you'd like. I might be willing to take you up on that. Really? Let's see but, who we uh, can talk to. Let's get our people talking, and let's see what we can work out then. <laughs> there you go. I mean, I'll, I'll I'll reach out to Giants PR and say, yeah. hey, you know, you know, the Eagles broadcasters are willing to give us, you know, yeah, willing yeah. to give us all Sean Jeffrey. Listen, if, you know, if, if if they can give us like a year's supply of staples, I think that would work for me. So yeah. So you guys, are, you guys are that <laughs> far down on Jeffrey, huh? I, just personally, you know, I don't think he's a good fit for this team at this point. You know, he's also coming off of an injury. We don't know how, how exactly how much you're going to get out of him. But they also, the Eagles, have have spent an entire off season 
doing the opposite of what the Giants did. We've loaded up on wide receivers. I mean, they, they draft we draft Jalen Rager. We still have Arthega Whiteside from last year. Uh, Deshaun Jackson's supposed to be there. They drafted a couple of guys on the on the third day that they think could be number four type speed wide receivers. Greg Ward's in the mix. I don't. There's not enough. There's not enough room for all the wide receivers we have. And given given the fact that most of us believe, and it's been reported that Alshon Jeffrey was the guy who went outside the locker room to talk to Josina Anderson last year to complain about Carson Wentz. I don't see a fit with this team, with, with him being on this team at this point. So, and I don't think you're going to be able to, I don't think the Eagles are going to be able to get much for him simply because he does have the injury that he's working to come back from. So yeah, I don't think it's going to, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot the Eagles can get for him. But by the way, you you mentioned the, the whole outside the locker room thing, Mm -hmm. you know, is, is there a common denominator here? Because this, this happened with the Giants and, uh, and Eli Apple. A couple of years ago, why is it that that the the now fired by ESPN Josina Anderson seems to always be in the middle of those things? Well, she has a very close relationship with a lot of these players, and I think if, that if I was an agent, I would advise players. You know, as as much as I'm a member of the media and all that. Don't don't talk to Josina. <laughs> Not much good comes of it most of well, the time. I'm uh, sorry. I guess I mean unless you tell her it's not off the record, you know, you better it's with any reporter. If you don't want it to get out there, you better say it's off the record and if mm-hmm. and if that reporter then goes out and reports it, they're not going to get anybody talking to them anymore. So my guess is that anybody who talks to Josina Anderson and Josina Anderson tweets it, it's done with their okay. I would hope so yep. anyway. I would think so. Yeah. I would think so. You know, there's a there there there's a reason why they're talking to Josina. But the point for me, whether it's all Sean Jeffrey or 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 someone else, and and I don't know if Jeffrey is the right answer. But the point for me with wide receiver, you know, is that that I think it, it wouldn't surprise me if the Giants look for some veteran help. The other interesting position for the Giants that that fans keep you know banging the table about and, and complaining about is the center spot. John Halapio has been their center for the last two years, and he is less than adequate in that role. Pro Football Focus graded him 28th out of 30 centers that played, I think, more than 600 snaps. Halapio tore his Achilles tendon in the last five minutes of the season, you know, in in 2019. So his his status, he's not even signed right now. His yeah. status is 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 unknown. The Giants have Spencer Pulley. He's the only center on the uh, on the ro- he's the only guy on the roster who has actual experience playing center in the NFL and he is a a, a less than less than thrilling alternative. So I'm looking at maybe Justin Britt, maybe you know maybe somebody like that if the Giants decide that that they really need to go out and bring in veteran center help, you know maybe a guy like that is somebody they'll look at. All right, well, let's take a look at the schedule. Uh, and I did this a, a few weeks back when the schedules first came out. I kind of did a, a, a one-loss scenario uh, with the with the schedule as it, as it was going down. And I see the Giants having a better year this year. I know there are some folks, I think, that have the Giants being another four or five win team. I think the Giants have the possibility of being a seven or an eight win team this year. And I know the schedule is unfavorable in some spots, but there's also some soft spots in it as well. I It's... 
the the problem the Giants have right now is Philadelphia. They they just have not been able to beat the Eagles these last few years, and that may not change this year. But I I think the time is coming when the Giants are not going to be you're not the Eagles fans are not just going to be able to chalk up a a W every time the, the Giants appear next to them on the schedule here. So I kind of wanted to see what you thought of the schedule. Um, did you do a win loss breakdown? And if so, what are you looking at as far as a, a one loss record for the Giants this year? John, this is this is really interesting and and it's really difficult. Now, if you go by the Vegas odds makers and and I think we all know that Vegas odds makers have their own reasons for setting, you know, whatever line that they set and it may not necessarily be who they actually think is going to win or lose a game. Mm-hmm. It, depending on which Vegas odds maker you look at, some of these people have the Giants favored in in only one or two games in the upcoming season. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of scary if you're a Giants fan, you know, and, and, and you've looked at winning 12 games total in the last three years. I looked at the schedule, and it's not easy. It's got the Ravens on it. You know, it's got it, it's got the Steelers. They open with the Steelers. The schedule's got the 49ers and the Rams on it. You know, it's 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 not an easy schedule in any way, shape, or form. But when I look at it, I think there's a possibility, you know, of maybe winning seven games, you know, six, seven games. Maybe you know, if 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 the stars align properly, maybe eight games. It's just it's so difficult to to know with the Giants because you've got a rookie head coach. You've obviously got an interrupted offseason. You've got a second-year quarterback who, who looks like a really good young player. But it's it's just so hard to, to know, you know, under the current circumstances, how well the Giants are going to be able to prepare, you know, versus a team like Philly that's that's got an established coach, got an established quarterback, got an established system, you know, got some veteran players it, and and it's really impossible to know how much all of that's going to impact how prepared the Giants are going to be when the season starts. That's a fair point. I, I guess I was I was kind of looking at this as a standard offseason at times, and I, I I sometimes swing back into and, and my memory catches up, and I remember, yo, that's right, we're they're not going to have any OTAs this year. Everything's going to be virtual. So w- with a young quarterback and a new head coach, it, it might be tricky. But I I was kind of thinking along the lines of Daniel Jones's progression in year number two. And I expect a, a progression from him because I, I really liked what I saw from him. The way he finished up the, his rookie season reminded me a lot of how Donovan McNabb finished his rookie season uh, back in the day. Just you saw you saw the steps moving forward. You you saw the improvement and it made you think, man, in year two, I think this guy can really take another big step forward. And that's that's what I saw with with Daniel Jones. And he's got a running back that helps take the pressure off him. Uh, his left side should be fairly well protected with the new draft pick. And so my thinking is that a lot of times as the quarterback goes, so goes the team. Uh, so, But you're right. It, there is there is something to be said for the fact that they're not going to be traditional OTAs this offseason and that we're still hopeful that there's going to be a full training camp. But even that's not guaranteed at this point. So do you do you have a win-loss uh, area that you think the Giants are going to finish in? Or is it just so com- completely unpredictable with the offseason being as tenuous as it is. Well, when I went game by game, when I went game by game, I came up with seven and nine. Mm -hmm. I think that's realistic. What I'm looking at, if you accept the idea, all right, the Giants went four and 12 a year ago, 
the general consensus is that Pat Shermer, who was the, the head coach at the time, was simply not up to the task. He's a good NFL quarterback coach. He's a good NFL offensive coordinator. He's not a head coach, and he didn't really have, you know, from the outside looking in, it certainly didn't appear to be a quality coaching staff around him. If you accept the idea that the Giants were sort of handicapped by coaching a year ago and probably had enough talent to win more games than to win more than four games, then you should be looking at a better season in 2020. Now, they're not perfect. They're not there yet. Um, There's still a lot of question marks on that defense. There's, as we talked about, question marks at, at, you know, whether they have enough weapons at wide receiver, uh, whether they have enough depth all the way through the roster. You know, we'll see. But I would hope to see better play from them this year. And I would hope to come out of the season feeling like like Joe Judge is the right head coach, like Daniel Jones is the right quarterback, and, and like they're going in the right direction. And, and I'm I'm kind of, you know, I'm talking to you, and, and you're obviously, you know, you cover the Eagles. And, and what I'm kind of looking for at some point this year, I'm looking for a signature victory over the Eagles or the Cowboys or – which the Giants haven't had one of those in a long time. No, that's true. I mean, and that's that's what I mean. The Eagles have been taking the Giants for granted these last few years, and I, I think justifiably, time- to be honest with yeah. you, as much as I hate it, justifiably, you know, I would, but I, I would love to see the Giants take at least one game from the Cowboys or one game from the Eagles because there's sort of been for years now, and there still is until one of these teams proves different. There's like. You know, Division One and Division Two in the NFC East. Mm. You know, and Division One is the Cowboys and the Eagles, and and Division Two is the Giants and the Redskins. And and I I would love to see the Giants, even if they don't jump into that top tier in 2020. I would love to see them play well enough that they sort of leave the message that they're on their way. Well, listen, I think a signature victory would be great for the Giants this year. Just make it against the Cowboys. I think that's... I, think I, that's- I, I, I wouldn't <laughs> complain about that. I wouldn't complain about that whatsoever. Of course, I, I, I wouldn't complain about the Giants going into Philly and sending Eagles fans home unhappy either, but... <laughs> I, ha- I have a problem with that, Ed, but I get where you're coming from. <laughs> hey, you know, you know, I I do get tired, to be honest with you. I do get tired, and it's been this way for the last two or three years because the NFL always seems to schedule Giants, Eagles at Giants late in the season, Mm-hmm. And, and and I I quite honestly get tired of of walking into MetLife and walking into the press box and seeing you know the place two thirds filled with with Eagles jerseys. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, I you know no 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 I offense, hey, but I but it. I get tired of that. <laughs> I get it. I listen. I'm reading your mail. I get what you're saying, man. I would be too if I were in your shoes. Well, I do think I do think there are better things in store for the Giants this year. We will see whether or not the off season has any kind of a negative effect on Daniel Jones and the Giants' ability to kind of hit the ground running here in 2020. But, uh, folks, make sure that if you want to keep up on what's going on with our friends up north that you're checking out the Giants SB Nation site, BigBlueView.com. Follow them on Twitter at BigBlueView. And follow our friend Ed Valentine on Twitter as well at Valentine underscore Ed. Ed, thanks for coming back on Eye on the Enemy, buddy. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me, John. Anytime. 
Well, up next, we're going to talk about Dak Prescott and the fact he still has not been offered a contract extension, or at least, I should say, has not accepted a contract extension. Is that going to get done here this offseason? And why Patrick Mahomes could be the key to it all? We'll do that next, coming up here on Eye on the Enemy. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge... That takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And we're back on Eye on the Enemy. So last week, Patrick Mahomes, of course, the Super Bowl winning quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs, it became known that he was negotiating a contract extension already with the Kansas City Chiefs. And man, oh man, is that going to be a big time deal? It could blow any quarterback contract out of the way, out of the water, I mean, I should say. I mean, we're looking at a potential $40 million a year guy. You're you could could we be looking at 50 million? I mean, probably not. But 40 we're we're certainly talking about in the 40 million dollar range. And certainly as Dak Prescott awaits his new deal, he's not going to make anything close to what Patrick Mahomes makes. But a rising tide lift, lifts all boats. Right. And if Patrick Mahomes is in the 42 million dollar range, 43 million dollar range. Well, how much higher does that take Dak, who is still waiting for his payday. There have been reports that uh, Dak Prescott was offered a few weeks ago a deal that would pay him $35 million a year with guarantees that would basically make it a $106 million contract. And Prescott has reportedly not gone ahead and, and taken this offer. He's reportedly said, nah, I'm good. I'm going to keep waiting. And he wants a four-year deal, apparently, as opposed to a five-year deal that Dallas has been offering him. But here's the situation. If Dak, if Dax continues to wait and Patrick Mahomes gets his deal, that changes the scale. That changes the pay scale a little bit. I mean, Dak, Dak has the Cowboys in a corner here. If they, if they believe in Prescott as a guy who can take them to the Super Bowl, they have to pay him. But they're already offering $35 million a year, reportedly. How could they possibly offer anything higher? At some point, no matter how good your quarterback is, unless it's Patrick Mahomes, can you go higher than $35 million with a guy like Dak Prescott? Isn't there something out there? Or do you just do you just load up and decide you're going to focus on drafting a quarterback in the draft next year if you decide that Dak Prescott is not somebody you want to give $38, 39000000 million a year to? Because that's that's what we could be looking at. If Patrick Mahomes gets his $41, $42 million a year contract. And, and Mahomes deserves that. I mean, 
we see how good he is. We see he's just at the beginning of his career. We see he has unprecedented talent. I mean, we haven't seen a player like him in, in a long time, maybe ever, maybe since the heyday of Brett Favre. And, and I think Mahomes is, is doing some things that even Brett Favre never did. Um, he's, he's absolutely amazing, and he, he deserves to be the first quarterback to break the $40 million a year barrier. But he's going to lift Dak with him. And Dak is going to make significantly more than Carson Wentz made. This just once again shows you how smart the Eagles were to, to sign Carson Wentz when they did. And, and it sounds like the Cowboys are trying to do the smart thing, that they've tried to get Dak to sign on the dotted line. And it sounds like they're making reasonable offers to Prescott. And Dak is just saying, nah, I'm good. Because now he really could, he, he really could see a boon here. Now, now, here's the other side of the coin. If we play an NFL season where there are no fans in the stands, where NFL teams are losing tons of money, where, where the revenue is just not coming in, you are going to see a drastically reduced salary cap next year. You are going to see not nearly as much going around to players. And this is why in baseball they are dead set against a salary cap because this what's going to happen here with this in this year of the pandemic and even if even if the stands are what 20% filled how much how much are teams going to lose even with the big network tv deal dollars they are going to lose a lot of money and the salary cap is dependent on the revenue that these teams generate and so or at least in part on the revenue that these teams generate and so you are hearing from from around the NFL that the salary cap could be drastically lower next year. I'm talking drastically lower. And we're talking about players who are going to have to take far less than what they otherwise might ordinarily would. You could be seeing a list of cap casualties next year that stagger the mind, which is probably why you haven't seen the Eagles going out and signing a guy like Jadavian Clowney, why they're trying to keep as much cap room as possible right now so that they can roll that into next year because it could be you could be looking at a a cap that's 30 million dollars less i mean we're talking about a big cap hit but nobody really knows what the number looks like because nobody really knows exactly what the season's going to look like yet but that's the risk that dak is running here will he get 35 million dollars a year 40 million dollars a year 38 million dollars a year whatever it happens to be if the cap is drastically reduced and and if so how do the Cowboys field a team with a salary cap that's as that that could drop by that much and still pay Dak and still you know pay everybody else that they have? It, it's it's setting up to be a, a it's Dak Prescott I think has done the right thing so far by refusing to sign, but depending on how the cap hits next year, he could be pressing his luck now. I mean, you, you could be going just a, a little bit too far, and you have to wonder if the Patrick Mahomes deal is going to get tabled if a salary cap is going to get drastically reduced. So just some of the economics of football are, are playing into the Dak Prescott contract negotiations here, one in his favor and one potentially very much not in his favor. Also last week, ESPN released their NFL football power index for 2020, and they ranked teams as far as their percentages of winning the Super Bowl. The Chiefs, unsurprisingly, are at the top, the defending Super Bowl champions, with a 21% chance of winning the Super Bowl next year. The Ravens are at number two at 16.6%. The New Orleans Saints are the top team in the NFC at 12.9%, followed by the 49ers at 11.5%. At number five overall, number three in the NFC, are the Dallas Cowboys at 4.8%, just ahead of the Philadelphia Eagles, who come in at number six in terms of ESPN's chances of winning the Super Bowl at 4.3%. That's just above T Tom Brady's Tampa Bay Buccaneers at 3.6%, the Patriots at 3.0%, at and the Seahawks also 
at a straight-up 3%. They are predicting the Cowboys uh, at 9.3 wins, the Eagles at 9.1 wins. So they have the the Cowboys being slightly better uh, than the Eagles. But it's also interesting how the addition of one extra playoff team is going to factor into Super Bowl odds this year. And they noted that the, the number one seed's chances of reaching the Super Bowl only changed by a little bit from the old format to the new. But however, unsurprisingly, the number two seed saw its chances drop significantly down almost 11 percentage points because they no longer get that first round by. Interestingly, the number three seed became more likely to reach the Super Bowl by three percentage points, as did the number four seed by two percentage points. The number five seed only went up by 1%. The number six seed up by about half a percent. The new number seven seed actually has a 4% chance of reaching the Super Bowl, which is higher than the number three seed, the number four seed, the number five seed, and the number six seed. So in order to to kind of sum things up here, the number one seed is still much more likely than any other team to reach the Super Bowl, but its actual chances have only barely increased over the old system. Instead, the increased chances for the lower seeds, especially the number three and the number seven, have come at the expense of the number two seed. Basically, if you be, if you're the number two seed in the NFC or the AFC this year, you are getting you are getting royally screwed over by this new system. But of course, that's fairly obvious. That first round buy means a whole heck of a lot. Now, looking at those uh, potential new seventh seeds, who does ESPN predict they will be in 2020? No team is more likely to earn a number seven seed than the Cleveland Browns, with a 10 percent chance that they land in that spot. The Steelers, Seahawks, and Rams are also in the 10% chance range, uh, right, very close to Cleveland. And in one third of their simulations that ESPN ran, the number seven seed came from a division with another wildcard team. So just a quick, interesting look at how ESPN's prediction model is, uh, is shaping things up here for the 2020 season. Finally, I want to look at some offseason rankings, one of them coming from Sports Illustrated, listing the Dallas Cowboys as the NFC East team highest on the rankings at number nine overall. They note the addition of CeeDee Lamb. Uh, to be uh, to, to help the, what could be the best offense in football, basically noting also that the defense could take a big hit. Dallas lost its top cornerback, Byron Jones, its best pass rusher and Robert Quinn in free agency. The Cowboys signed Gerald McCoy, defensive tackle, and, and Dontari Poe uh, to give them some bulk inside. They're also hoping that pass rusher Alden Smith has something left in the tank after a four-year absence. They have the Eagles Five, uh, no, four spots below them at number 13 overall, noting Carson Wentz passed for 4,000 yards with 27 touchdowns and just seven interceptions despite not having a, li- a whole lot of playmakers. The offseason goal, obviously, to put some speed on the outside, and so we'll see what Jalen Rager and Marquise Goodwin can add and also some of the other draft picks. Cornerback Cor- uh, Darius Slay coming to the mix bolsters what they call a top 10 defense in the NFL. They also have the New York Giants at number 20, which I agree with. I think the Giants are going to be better this year, as you just heard me talk about with Ed Valentine. Uh, We'll see what Joe Judge can do in his first year as head coach. And he has an an experienced offensive play caller in Jason Garrett, although Garrett hasn't been calling plays for much of the last few years in Dallas, but he has experience doing that. They also have Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, who I think are going to help them win some games. They got Andrew Thomas to protect Jones's blind side. And I like the addition of middle linebacker Blake Martinez and cornerback James Bradbury. I think it's going to help a defense that was number 25 in the NFL last year. The Washington Redskins, Dead last at number 32 in their power rankings. 
Uh, Ron Rivera is going to help, and he's going to help get them moving in the right direction. But uh, they, even with the addition of Chase Young, they still have a long way to go. Now, one other set of offseason rankings I saw was from Peter King, a Monday morning quarterback. He also has Dallas at number nine overall. He has the Eagles at number 15, a little bit further down the list. And I have to agree with what he says about the Eagles here. Calls them a hard-to-read team. So many yeah buts. And and I, I think that's right. I think, you know, they have some... They have If everything breaks right, this is a team that could go to the Super Bowl. But they have to have a lot of things break right. They have to have Jalen Rager perform well in his rookie year. They have to have Deshaun Jackson not miss the entire season. They got to get something else from uh, Greg Ward or Alshon Jeffrey or J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. Uh, they got to hope Miles Sanders stays healthy. And they got to help. They got to hope that their secondary, that their defense uh, can figure itself out. We know Darius Slay is going to be on the outside, but can Jalen Mills take over for Malcolm Jenkins? That's a huge loss on the defense. Their linebacking core is extremely thin. And so that's going to be an issue. And do they have enough with Derek Barnett and Brandon Graham? on the edge to to help supplement a pass rush that sh- that should be much better in the in the middle. So it, it's going to be interesting. I think this is a I think placing the Eagles in the middle of the pack right now is a safe bet because you just this team could go in one of two different ways. They they could be really good. They well no, they could go three ways. They could be like last year where they're 9 and 7 where they struggle to figure it out all year and sneak into the playoffs. But, uh, you know, th- there is a scenario where this team goes 6 and 10. It's also a scenario where this team goes 11 and 5. It's really hard to know what this team is going to do this year. I did find it interesting that Peter King had the other two teams in the NFC, the Giants and Washington, right next to each other, down near the bottom. They have the, he has the Giants at 30 and Washington at 31 with Jacksonville at 32. I have no problem with Washington at 31. I think he's massively underestimating the Giants. I think the Giants are going to be a seven-win team this year, seven to eight-win team. I think they are going to show a lot of improvement, and I think they're going to be much higher in the power rankings than number 30 by the time the 2020 season is over. Folks, that'll do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. My thanks once again to Ed Valentine for coming on the podcast. And just a reminder, folks, to make sure to leave a rating and a review at the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed on Apple Podcasts. Check us out there and uh, let us know what you think of this particular podcast and the rest of the shows that we have coming your way. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I'll talk to you next time here on Eye on the Enemy. G-N.